Okay, we'll, we'll start now. I'm recording. Okay. Hi, Mia. Thank you so much for joining me today for this interview. How are you? Oh, thanks so much. Yes, I mean, uh, we've been collaborating already. So, I mean, I'm just excited to share what um, I learned with students. And I'm, I'm looking forward to your question. I'm very excited to talk to you today. Uh -huh. So to get us started, um, as the founder of the Creative Process, can you please let me and the audience know a little bit more about the nonprofit and your role? Yes, so the Creative Process is a traveling exhibition and a, yes, a nonprofit um, international educational initiative. And I've been involved with uh, literary museums going back um, over 20 years. I'm, I'm an artist and writer and helped launch some literary museums, culture centers. Um, so this interest in the creative process, I think, has been with me all my life. And um, it started off um, in terms of the traveling exhibition we had. I should say, you know, I was um, done portraits, as you've seen, um, for the Dublin Writers Museum and I'm working on them for the American Writers Museum. And out of the research for that, um, in conversations with American writers, um, you know, I did interviews and some of them are already my friends. And when I asked them about, you know, books and writers that had been important to them, they spoke about being curious about so many subjects and being um, interested and influenced by writers and, and other artists from not just America, but, you know, all over the world. So I realized at that stage that uh, there was a need for a parallel international project that embraced many disciplines and um, in which, like myself, as I, I live in Paris now, though I was born in Seattle, so that's another connection to the University of Washington where my parents met. Um, anyway, I realized there was a need for a, a project with, which embraced all these disciplines and was a way for bringing um, people from a variety of uh, backgrounds and experiences together. Um, so it's been a really interesting, for me, you know, learning process. When we started, it was launched at the Sorbonne. Uh, the inaugural exhibition was held there. And um, it's, it's grown um, at, at, you know, quite a lot to embrace be now beyond writers. It initially was writers and filmmakers and some other artists. And now um, we're very lucky because uh, people recommend um, you know, creative thinkers across a variety of disciplines. So it keeps on growing. Um, with, I have to say, acknowledge the great input of students and faculty and, and the different people involved. Um, and so you, you just mentioned that uh, it, uh, it, there's a, a variety of backgrounds of mm -hmm. the collaborators. You know, this, our artists come from all over the world, and you also mentioned that it's, it's a multidisciplinary, so I, I would like to talk a little bit more about that. So when you say multidisciplinary, um, do you mean do these artists just, do these creative thinkers come from mostly artists, artistic or creative backgrounds, or would that also include scholars and thinkers from other disciplines as well? Oh yes, definitely. And I should probably finish on that because I, I realize I didn't completely answer your questions because now I'm sitting on the other side of it. Usually I'm asking questions, so sometimes I'm not <laughs> as clear <laughs> being the interviewee. Um, I should also say um, I conduct I'm conducting a lot of these interviews and I'm doing portraits. So you're asking about my role. So um, I'm also liaising with students in universities and kind of mentorship process with students. But I, I do portraits inspired by the conversations and the works of the, the interviewees. Um, and then students are involved in that process too. 
Uh, so when you yes de definitely it's multidisciplinary so it's not just artists so you'll see we have a concentration that we have a lot of writers for instance but we do have we you know we publish um, we've published scholarly essays on we've published like 20 page essays on our um, on our website that in the exhibitions there's not room for that you know that's a little bit too much to have in an exhibition so um, yes from scholars um, from you know, that that the, our online uh, allows us to to include all those kinds of I consider them creative thinkers as well they're doing a lot of thinking about creativity and then they're um, but from an academic lens so I'm on uh, the advisory board of the European Conference for the Humanities and we have shown with them um, twice uh, we at uh, we had an exhibition in Belgium at KU Leuven um, in their this very beautiful uh, library which has interesting history and then also um, most recently in Athens um, this is all part of the European Conference for the Humanities and that was at the um, Christian and Byzantine Museum so um, the European Conference for the Humanities is composed primarily of scholars so that would be another element of our audience but we're interested in you know general public and undergraduate audiences as well that you do the portraits. So you, apart from being the one conducting most of the interviews, you also are the artist behind all of the portraits of, of your guests. Um, and I, I do know that uh, you have had, you have received many awards. Mm -hmm. Your art has been displayed in notable public collections, mm -hmm. such as, uh, like you mentioned, mm -hmm. um, the Dublin Writers Museum or the U.S. Library of Congress. Mm -hmm. And you have a very unique Mm -hmm. uh, to me, it's more like a blend between realism and abstract and between portrait and landscape. So how and when did you start establishing the style of art? Oh, well, I think that that's, again, I think that a lot of times when people talk about their voice, whether it's, you know, a visual language or um, their writing voice, it, I think that it's something, I think it's, it's most interesting when it comes out of, you know, the way you see the world. And so I think that that style has probably been a part of me all my life because it's, it's the way I see the world. In fact, I have, but to speak about my style, I have a, a few different styles when I do portraits. Sometimes it's a bit more solid, but in terms of my oil paintings that are kind of transparent, um, this using um, semi-transparent washes, that's inspired by um, some of the techniques I learned before I transitioned entirely to oil paint. So I had learned uh, watercolors, which is dependent on that, to the, the washes. And I had learned at uh, the Ecole Nationale Supérieure de Beaux-Arts in Paris, um, the uh, old fresco technique as well, which is a kind of, um, it gives a kind of powdery light and, uh, and lightness that's not traditionally associated with oils. Um, so some of these techniques that I had learned I bring them over into the oil process that may, perhaps makes it a little bit interesting and different. And uh, But the style is, is really the way I see the world. I actually have quite, I've had um, eye problems all my life. I have a very bad myopia and it's a period where, um, where my, my, I would see the sunspots, I still get these kind of floaters. These are motifs that come into my paintings. and. Um, you know, uh, so that's why it's a little bit surreal sometimes. It's kind of me translating um, things I've had. I mean, I have very uh, detailed vision, but I also have a kind of blurred vision sometimes. And I, I lost my eyesight very, very briefly. I mean, it came back 
and this was something to do with um, oh it's just a long story but uh, that's something I became interested in after that I kind of have a fear of losing my eyesight permanently that's very interesting so you you came a long way in establishing this style it's it's always been there but you have you know continuously made changes to it would you mm -hmm. say I it. Oh yeah, I mean I think that that's really important if that's one thing that I've you know learned and been so lucky to learn to have these conversations with these artists or creative thinkers about across many disciplines is that you should really you know the you know curiosity is so important it's really crucial so I really always would like to be open to be receiving new influences um, you know though I, though I may have a certain way of approaching it often. Um, that's what I like um, because you can tend to repeat yourself. Some people love that, right? They feel, love to feel comfortable and in some way the art world sometimes um, wants you to repeat yourself, to have one recognizable style, which I think I do, or have a few different, you know, themes or um, that I've, I've done. But what I like about doing the interviews is that I can do or I don't even think of them as interviews, they're conversations, but I have conversations where I can be inspired by the life and work of these, these great creative thinkers, and that, that some things that they share um, finds its way into the work, and they share things that make me look at the world in a new way, and then that can be added to the visual language. Uh, so that's a challenge of translating some of those things that are shared into a, a visual plane, so it makes it intellectually, for me, interesting, so I wouldn't always repeat myself. Um, and that's one thing I do like to, to share with um, students is that uh, the, well, for me, it's always important, say if I read a book or you know, see a film or whatever I'm experiencing, I always like to ask myself, you know, what I learned. It's not enough. There's, we can have a lot of um, passive intelligence where we just, you know, things pass through us and, and we don't do something with it. And I feel that's kind of dead knowledge. So what I always like to try to, you know, encourage in students, and, and I feel lucky to be surrounded by so many um, who are really, you know, passionately interested, um, uh, is that it's, it's not enough to, to have this knowledge, but it's what you do with it. It's whether you want, whether you use it to try to make the world a better place or connect with others or, you know, create an artwork that helps us connect and feel less alone, whatever that is, it's, you have to, I feel it's very important to take it to the next level because in some sense, if you don't, then you haven't really learned from it and it passes out of our, um, it passes out of our long, it doesn't go into your long-term memory, it just passes through you. Uh, I, I, I do agree uh, and I, I see that I can see uh, a lot of when I go through these interviews, oh, I can you. see some of these uh, in, uh, some of these information that's been mentioned in the interview reflected in the portrait, and I think that's, that's very interesting. It's a very um, good touch to in, uh, enhance the the impact of the interview. Uh, speaking of art, mm -hmm. um, while collaborating mm -hmm. with you, a term I have heard a lot from you mm -hmm. is the invisible art. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what you mean by the invisible art? Yes, because there's so many um, people, there's so many members of society who we don't see or we don't honor as much as we should. And one of those, I mean, one of them is primary, this is like a whole section of our, the projection elements of our traveling exhibition and the fact that we have so many people who are teachers involved is, is teachers. I feel that they're one of the invisible arts. 
but also you know editors librarians producers all these behind the scenes people who really help make things happen and nurture projects and you know the imaginations of young people um so i i think that I, i'm trying to remember exactly there's a something that john steinbeck said that he in reference to teachers that he thought that perhaps they were like one of the greatest artists because or one of the greatest types of artists because their material is the human spirit and, and imagination the young minds so yeah that's something i like to to you know let us pay attention to to those those people who really you know deserve um uh, respect and support and then on a, on a broader um, level of seeing those part uh, members of society who were who are not as visible i say i recently did an interview with the curator of the Smithsonian's uh, National Museum of the American Indian and I've res uh, visited reservations and had conversations with their teachers and artists um, on, on reservations and so we're collaborating on um, uh, section of projection elements um, celebrating Native American culture so that would be an example of another what I think the invisible arts or invisible members of society because uh, we, we, could, we could have a whole interview on that, but, you know, what the curator of the museum said to me is that, uh, you know, so many people even visit the museum and they think that they haven't encountered one uh, Native American in their life. That, that's the real impression. I don't think that it's really true, but it's they, they've become so, um, you know, maybe they're on reservation or maybe they're not, but they're not, I don't know, they're not seen as much. So that, that would be one thing that I, I would like to, to do through this project. Would, would you say um, maybe like communities of minority groups, would that be the invisible art as well? Yeah, I mean, we have different sections. So you are born in Vietnam, and the um, the interview that I had conducted before, unfortunately, I, you had come onto the project after I'd already interviewed the, the writer, Pulitzer Prize winning writer, Viet Thanh Nguyen. So he also has um, projects, the the Vietnamese, the Diasporic Vietnamese Artists Network and Diacritics. And so as a part of, we, we talked about these different projects that he had. Um, and so that's a whole community of artists, writers from Vietnam and those in the diaspora. So we've included their creative works and artworks as our project in our projection elements. And then of course, you know, that's, um, you know, linked to the interview with Viet Thanh Nguyen, who, um, who won the Pulitzer for the Sympathizer and also wrote the short story collection, The Refugees, and, and is also a noted scholar. He has you know, two, two careers. Um, so yeah, I think if we can help, we have a lot of, you know, you know note, say more noted voices or people who have you know, won Oscars or you know, Emmy or Grammy Awards and they're part of the more celebrated, more visible um, artistic community. And I think alongside that, I think it's my was one of our missions to say, but this is also a value, those those communities. Um, so I'm, it's a little bit broad, but I feel lucky that I have these connections to um, different um, communities. So now we have in our projection elements, creative works from people from over sixty five countries, and um, you know a lot of you know visual or writing. It's, it's usually some short films. 
you are. You are really bringing the creative process um, across the globe. So, <laughs> yes. Well, it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's a lot of work, but it's we're we're, we're working with many people. <laughs> yeah. So, as uh, a student of the University of Washington, um, mm. I am also curious to know if there are any projects you are bringing to Seattle, or if there if what uh, or what does connection is between Seattle in general and the university mm -hmm. in particular to the creative process? Yeah, we're, we haven't fixed the, the, the date for exhibition yet. We're working on that now because, I, as I said, you've kind of probably noticed that I'm into, um, uh, I like to make things really comprehensive <laughs> and not simplify it to like one, you know, one person representing University of Washington or a small group of people representing a region. So, um, as the project travels, I realized it was really important to include a lot of the local celebration of the local educational creative community. So uh, when we have, we've done interviews, and I, I was lucky to do interviews with um, the dancers and the creative team behind the Pacific Northwest Ballet um, and, and others from the area, but we're still, we're still building that content so that when, and that was something that you and I are working together on, and we have um, a few other students at the University of Washington focusing on different areas. Um, so when that we have something that's more comprehensive, then we'll show it because I think that that's the most respectful and best way. Instead of me like bringing all these kind of national and international voices that have no connection to the region. And, uh, you did mention you were born in Seattle too, right? Yeah, I was born, and also I, that's why I said my my parents met at the University of Washington. So it's and I, oh. <laughs> so it's it's nice for me to because I've always been when I've lived like much of my life abroad now or in different cities so um, I, I always want to bring something back so that has another I have family there and uh, that will be really nice to be able to bring something back. I'm very excited to see um, the exhibition coming to Seattle mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and uh, also since the creative process contains a lot of interviews mm -hmm. I would love to learn more about your interviewing process mm -hmm. So first of all, how would you describe the importance of interviews at the creative process? Yes. Oh, and one thing, I, yes, but one thing I do want to address, because you had said that, that, yes, to date I've done most of the interviews just because, you know, I was there and I had those connections to those people. But we're really broadening it out, as you know, with the, the student involvement. So I, I like nothing better than to actually share, you know, I think the skill of interviewing is so important, not just for the project, or the exhibitions, it's, it's part of our core content of the creative process, but just as a life skill, for whether you're in journalism or not, everything is a kind of, and again, I don't like to say interview, I like conversation, because that would be my style of, of my approach, but everything is a kind of interview or negotiation, or you know, from you know, whether you, you're meeting your fiance's family or a job interview, those are kind of things where you have to you present yourself, but you know, if you know those skills, and I think you know them well because you have very good questions, um, that will that will open doors for you. You know, the I don't know if it's an art of listening, but the, just the capacity to receive and to learn from what is in front of you. I mean, that's the way you make connections with people. That's how you get inspired. But if you're not listening and you don't know how, or you don't know the, how to ask the questions that will give you. Um, the most like information or inspiration, um, then you're really missing out in life. And uh, so I really think of it as a very important learning process. And it really operates in our project like a 
one-on-one -on -one mentorship where I will be mentoring students, whether when they, we're in the same city, it's side by side, I'll bring them along to interviews so they can observe and participate and you know, put you know, questions themselves. Um, but if they're not in the same city in advance of me you know, coming to their city, then we would share audio in that, that way or have the kind of um, video conference call. So I'm doing that mentorship with students. But then as they're getting a chance to, to meet and interview these um, you know, notable creative thinkers, then they're also being mentored from them because it's a face-to-face -face or it's a very you know, you know, personal one-on-one -on -one contact. And so that's, I think, also a great learning process. And uh, they, they do form the core of our um, exhibition, which is, you know, really uh, important for, for me, I feel, is, is to have an, ex uh, an educational exhibition um, where people, um, I love decoration and the visual arts and things like that, but I, it's really important, I think, to, if you, if you meet, say, you get the chance to meet people who are been very passionate and have done great things in their life. I, um, I think that it, it can only inspire you uh, and how they did it and why they did it. Um, these are important questions and it didn't come to them immediately, but knowing a little bit about their life story and the reasons behind what they've created, I think is just so fascinating. I think it is as fascinating or even more fascinating sometimes than the work itself, which is, uh, you know, can have a, a surface value, but to know why, you know, and how it came together, and sometimes the, it's just the process of a great collaboration. Uh, that's, for me, what's exciting. Um, and so you did mention that mm -hmm. uh, you would call it a conversation instead mm -hmm. of an interview. Yeah. You also mentioned that it's very important to have a listen. And um, I would, can you elaborate a little bit more? Like, what do you mean by listening skills? Oh, I mean, I think that everyone uh, knows how to listen. I mean, when we're children, more so, like, we're more open. Um, but I think that, uh, so to explain it is sort of, um, I mean, I think it should be, like, natural. But I guess some people don't know how to listen because I, I've understand I've understood when sometimes when I've had conversations with people, they weren't taking anything in; they were only talking. Um, so it's it's just being it's being able to absorb and then to show that you've learned, you've shown show that you've heard what's being said, and that the real um, sign of that is that you're able to then what I always, always ask students to do is then they're and they're part of uh, the podcast now to say what I learned and how do I apply that to things I've done or things I'm planning on doing in my future career, things like that. So that would be, you know, demonstration of deep learning. Um, and listening is all kinds of things. I mean, it's not just with the ears, it's with the eyes. It's picking up um, nonverbal cues, and, you know, tone and um, the subtext. So and that's something that I think that we should all know naturally. Um, it, it should all come to us, but sometimes I do feel that with the, in this technology-dominated world, uh, in some ways we're, we have, we're inundated with so much information, uh, and it comes to us digitally, or already curated, already presented in a, you know, through a machine interface, perhaps. So some of those older forms of listening and picking up nonverbal cues and tones have been 
lost if we're not careful uh, about it we can um, we can forget how to take in that information which is often you know just as rich and communicates quite a lot but I, I, I know that you know this uh, but I'm just uh, speaking broadly yeah, it's, uh, I would. I think it's it's good that you mentioned that because uh, it is truly a very important skill. Mm-hmm. And um, I am actually taking a course on conducting interviews at yes. the moment, so listening is one very big part. Mm-hmm. And also another very um, important part of of interviews is the preparation. Mm-hmm. So, how do you usually prepare for an interview, and how is the preparation process? Different between um, different kinds of interviews, say recorded or non-recorded, or in person, phone, etc. Yeah, no, that's also a very good question because the I believe in my style will be different from other people's styles. I, you should I should say that you know because at this stage now I, I've done hundreds of interviews, so I can rely on a certain level of the, the experiences of. And because they've been with people across a variety of disciplines, I can always call on, say, insights that someone else in that discipline has shared. Or if it's a, a discipline I am actively involved in, like um, um, you know, making art or uh, writing, or things that I know about through my family, or things like you know, film or television, theater, then I can draw on that experience. So that's um, the research is important, but then also having those life experiences means that we can sort of, they're kind of like, when I do an interview, almost an artist-to-artist interview. Then if I'm doing an interview outside of my discipline, which is, you know, sometimes happened where I've done um, interviews with an uh, astronomer or a physicist, you know, that's quite different to my experience. So yeah, I have to then would find a common ground that I could relate to it. Research, yes, is very important. I research a lot. People have said I research a lot. At the same time, when I do interviews, and then others would feel less comfortable with this, but I memorize all my questions so that in that way, I feel like I've learned it you know, deeply enough that I've prepared a lot, and then in the moment of the interview, it's, you know, there, we have those eye contact, and there's a, a large element of spontaneity, so I'm really taking in what they're saying. Um, in, and then um, not relying on notes. And I used to I'd be quite, um, I don't know, uh, unconventional that I wouldn't have notes at all. I mean, I, as I said, I memorize all my questions, but now I have this tablet that I'll bring with me in case I need to consult it, but I don't look down. Also, I, I think I mentioned that my eyesight is so bad, so if I glance down, I'm not going to see anything. <laughs> so, so that's one way I just have to memorize it because it would be too annoying for me to be squinting and looking down. <laughs> and it'll take them out of the moment. So yeah, so I do try to encourage that conversational style and I'll just, I'll know the, the points that I want to hit. So it's a very prepared but um, spontaneous technique. In others, I realize that that's not always possible because I have conducted shorter interviews where you have maybe just five or ten minutes and that you really maybe should be so scripted because you just won't have the chance where our average interview is at least an hour and sometimes, you know, it's a, you know their friendships or that we want on to collaborate or they become members of our board or, um, you know, so that it's going on hours uh, so I have a bit more room to be to indulge what interests me um, but you know if you're doing a if, you know taking someone off the street you know something doing something you know five minutes of connection I think you have to be really targeted 
and, and to make sure that you get what you want. I'm just thinking now because one of the uh, recent interview was with the photographer Mark Seliger, and he is a very you know notable um, photographer of both. I mean, he started off, I guess, his early. He worked a lot with the Rolling Stones, so he's photographed all these, um, you know, actors, celebrities. But he's also photographed the the president and the Dalai Lama, and he's and he does interesting personal work that's not about you know people you would know, but um, is is dealing with the Holocaust. Or he's just a very great photographer, but then he has time limitations because of the the celebrity of some of the people involved like when he was photographed so as he shared as he was photographing Obama he only had five minutes so he had to know and I do, do believe in that preparation but he had to know and he had to get that in five minutes so he couldn't be as like um, loose with it but I, I'm lucky and I, that the people involved even though they're they're you know quite well known give give more of their time and so and I think that it helps engender for them to, to relax and really share more of their lives. So you did mention that uh, you use a lot of uh, nonverbal cues to, to show them that you are engaged and you are taking in a lot of information. Mm -hmm. You did mention that uh, you maintain eye contact. Sure. So um, I, I was wondering, how do you let them know, how do you let the guests know that you are engaged when you're conduct, conducting a um, non-face-to-face interview, like through phone or through email? Right, yeah, no, sorry, I, I didn't get, get around to, to addressing that, and that is really important because I've noticed, um, yeah, it's a, it's a non-verbal skill, but you're just using the tone of your voice, but actually I found I've got is interesting. Some people said to me, and I was surprised um, that they said, "Oh, it's difficult when you're doing it on the phone." They imagined it was difficult, but I've got. I if I compare interviews I've done on the phone, although I always prefer face to face because you have all that information. Um, then I've had the responses, the depth of interview has been just as good if you compare them. Sometimes you could say even better. For it would that might suit some people better. Um, I know that I've. And strangely enough, I've done interviews with people on the phone, often when I've known them or met them, they may be friends in person, but because they live in another city and when I saw them, there wasn't a chance to do an in-depth interview. They were on book tour, for whatever reason, they went back to their city. And so we reconnected for the interview by phone. That's happened. And um, so, and then the interview was fine. And then another interesting thing is that sometimes with writers, so some people will prefer different formats. So I would always do the kind of interview that they prefer. And I understand as someone who cares deeply about language that some writers will prefer to do a, a written uh, exchange. I always prefer that it's a back and forth where I send a question, they respond. So it's like a conversation, but because they're almost their truest self when they're writing and not speaking, they feel, you know, they can be very spontaneous, of course, and they're great talkers, but they, they like language, the language for them operates on a poetic, symbolic level, more so than with most people. So if they request, you know, again, we've, we've met, we've spoken many times, but for the interview to say, oh, let's do it in writing, and that's fine. So I always believe you know, accommodate the requests of the, the interviewee. And, and sometimes that can lead to, um, not misunderstandings, as you say, but people don't get all the cues. 
um, on the phone. So sometimes it takes people a while to warm up, but in general, I found people are very um, uh, open and generous with their time for this project because they, they like it. So um, it's not been that. The most in terms of difficulties, because I guess that's what you're looking for, like, oh, what difficulties have you encountered and how can I avoid doing those or how can I learn from um, you know, what, what the ones you've encountered? Sometimes the interviews go on too long. <laughs> that would be a question. They relax so much into it, or as I said, we're friends. So I have a lot of material that in the end needs to be, like I might have a few hours, and then really we only want an interview that's an hour or maximum an hour and a half. So it'll be about cutting down all these interesting insights to make it something digestible for people. Um, I don't know, did I address? Oh. I should address one thing through email now but again it's really adapted to you really want to be thinking about what what their discipline is because the way you communicate with a writer is different than with a visual artist and then those aren't in, and then whatever with a scientist or a composer or these are all the different kinds of disciplines that have uh, interviewees who have been interviewed for the great process uh, film director will have another um, you know Set way of looking at the world and then each one will vary from person to person so it's really a process of tuning in and then I find that through email uh, I'll make my questions longer often um, again more and more because we're doing podcasting now um, I'm preferring something that's recorded that has the human voice that will then transcribe and so most of it will be face-to-face -face exchanges and then some by audio but if you're doing through email I'll make my questions longer and they, and they say that journalistically you should actually have short questions, but I do that because, it, and it's not always the case, it's just really about the person, but say for the writer or through email, I do want them to know that I haven't, I, I want them to know the depth of my research and because I can't communicate that non-verbally or, or communicate that before as you would do in an audio interview, I really have to show them that I'm really you know, fascinated in what they've done you know their body of work so I'll, those questions will be a bit longer whereas in a recorded exchange um, often I won't even finish my sentence I'll just get it going I might have a whole question but once they know where the question is going I don't need to be so word perfect uh, let, you know get out of the way and let them answer it No, I have to say it's really been positive. I've found, you know, sometimes people, um, usually they're, usually they've been, I would say most of the people interviewed for our project, I mean, our participants then take in students or others who might have been not interviewed often. But most of the people in our project have been interviewed a lot. So they're really, you know, I don't think they would agree to an interview if they weren't interested in doing it. And also, we're very lucky that most people agree. The most, the, the only thing that we get sometimes is, oh, later in my, um, say I'm busy, I'm shooting a film, or I'm in the middle of a book, and come back to me later when I'm finished, when I'll, when I'll be talking about it. Um, so, no, they've been very cooperative. Like once, I think. Uh, somebody forgot that we were supposed to do an interview and I didn't want to harass them by sending them reminders and, and so I realized it, it, it took her a moment to, to remember we were supposed to be doing an interview and, but that was fine it wasn't really to do with that you know so there was a bit of a warm up where I don't know she 
some of the schedules. Or maybe um, I've encountered people who might have been at, this is one, one instance where someone was at the end of doing a very long book tour. So you, you can know, if you're, you're me, this is something you have to make it fresh for people where they've done a lot of interviews and people might be asking the same questions, so they might have an interview fatigue. Um, but luckily, I'm kind of a little bit off script quite a lot, so usually I'm not asking the same questions they've been asked. And so, and so they relax around that because they know I'm an artist, and so I will throw in something that's a little bit unusual, you know. Well, for the creative process, because it's an educational initiative, uh, it's really it's a body it's a body of work, life, and creative uh, process interview. So, you know, obviously, I'm interested in their process and how they how and why they've done their work. That's something we, that we discussed. Uh, and I don't generally focus just on their latest work, which would be the focus of a lot of interviews when they're promoting something. Um, so I, I like to see that within the context of what they've done. And so it's the, what it is is uh, what the um, director of the curator of the Dublin Writers Museum and the James Joyce Museum has said that the creative process is really like a portrait in words. So there's the portraits, and it's a portrait of them in words as well that, that we collaborate on. Um, you know, not just their latest project, which will only give you a slice. So we have that luxury of being in depth. Now we'll focus on, because I'm interested, it, you know, I guess you could call that intellectual or the educational benefits. I'll touch on their life, but I wouldn't be so, um, I'm not looking for like a confessional interview or to make them uncomfortable about that because I respect their work so much that they will, we could discuss how their life may have inspired or or made them choose to focus, you know, their journey brought them to the certain themes that they have in their work. But I wouldn't want to make them uncomfortable to focus uh, entirely on that. You know, that's something that they may share, but I wouldn't be pressing for that. And that might make our focus a little bit different because a lot of uh, a journalism might want to focus on that or they might uh, wants a, a scoop in that way. I, I wouldn't look for that. I think that our scoop is the fact that they they actually share quite a lot, but without being invasive or, you know, getting them to share things that they wouldn't want to. I, I just, I, that's the way I, that's what I'm interested in. And, and so, uh, but they are intimate too, because of course when you're dealing with, as our project deals with, you know, primarily a lot of people in the arts of course their personal life comes to bear in that um, even if they're not um, doing work that's strictly autobiographical mm -hmm. so um, for the creative process we do focus on the creative process and yeah. I, I think that it's good that we we, fo we have a focus on what we want to interview um, and so we, we can kind of guide the interview in a very specific direction yeah uh, and so, as uh, 
Um, so next, I would love to talk about the social impact of the creative process. Mm-hmm. Um, so considering the rapid growth of the project itself, mm-hmm. does it have any direct impact on the surrounding community? Yeah, I mean, I don't know as, as you measure it, but I I feel like we've had... I think that the facts that we could talk about within universities, which are, of course, a microcosm of the community, and then we also have inner city, uh, an inner city and high school project. We have a lot of different strands that go out of the uh, the university, or say you might think of that as the you know elite sector of society. Um, as I mentioned, you know, when I I don't think I went into it the, when I was visiting reservations in New York and doing those interviews there with the the Smithsonian director of the the National Museum of the American Indian. Anyway, I had a project in, in New York in the Hamptons, and I spent, it was an immersive project, and I lived in the community. And of course, the Hamptons is a very, you know, elite community. Very talented, creative people live there, very wealthy people live there, and that's what we view it as. So I knew it was important when I went there and had the chance to engage and learn from them and do interviews across many disciplines, that it would be important to, you know, celebrate that. and. Um, and I was very honored to do that, but I also knew historically the Hamptons was not always a wealthy enclave. It had been, well, it had been an artist colony, uh, you know, when people like Jackson Pollock were starting off before he had any money, and there were, you know, there was that history. But going further back, and they still are there, although it's not some recognized as much, there was, there's tribes of Indians settled the Hamptons, uh, the Shinnecock. So I visited and others you you can see them the place names they're named after Indian tribes some of them now have vanished so I thought it was very important in terms of reaching out to the communities to visit those reservations to have those conversations with with educators and and community um, leaders and uh, artists there to hear their stories so that's something I'm expanding now I didn't get to focus on you know underrepresented communities so I would think it's very important. I would think I was missing out by going to the Hamptons to just focus on the uh, more elite communities. Let's remember its history. So that that's always important for me. So another part of that is that we have inner city and high school project. So it's very important for us, although we are collaborating with a lot of universities, because again, that's where so much creativity takes place. And that's also where so, mu- so many... Um, social movements get started, but also to, to, to include those from both ends of the educational spectrum. So we have an inner city um, high school project that we're expanding more now, and that's including after school writing clubs and you know open mic events. And we have a number of those pieces in our projection elements and, and some of them on our website. Um, you know, students reading their work, and then those stories or essays are also being adapted for uh, their um, university applications. So, um, and and I'm b- I'm very happy with um, you know the the resilience uh, of those students who uh, and and then I, I'm lucky to work with a great team of of young artists and writers, mentors who really I mean they're like heroes because they're not paid very well at all the the joy of teaching is so important and they um in any way in those schools which um we've um 
have this, these inner city programs in the high schools, uh, they've noticed uh, a, a reduction of out of school suspensions by over 50% so that we know that the arts are not just for decoration. It's a chance for people to be heard and to keep them on their educational track. And so the healing power of the stories and arts is, is really important. Um, so I, I try to do what I can to include, that, that program is called the Pure Imagination Program, and I try to do what I can to embrace different um, you know, elements of society. But you know, I am, I'm one person, so sometimes I get torn in too many directions, but I'm lucky to work with a lot of great people. This is something I I would like to ask, but you don't have to answer. Oh yeah, sure. Um, so since you are traveling a lot and you are working with a lot of different stations, mm -hmm. um, we are a nonprofit. Yes. And so how do you get funding, or, or how do you um, accommodate the the traveling or or the work or the color color collaboration with with these different organizations? Yeah, no, I, yeah, of course, that's important too. Sometimes it's difficult to find the energy to even, you know, I'm not a professional fundraiser. So initially, I didn't know that the project would grow. Uh, so, I mean, I, I thought it would go to a few universities, and but every university I wrote to um, it said yes. So that meant, like, right from the beginning, and the Sorbonne, where it was launched, I mean, I contacted them, and three months later, they were doing an exhibition. But luckily, I'd had content for that. So that it was sort of hard in the beginning because of, I would have these opportunities to be invited here, and I'd want to, you know, great, just wonderful, like, interviewees that were giving their time and who don't really have a lot of time to give necessarily because so, they're so busy. Like, some of them are, like... CEOs, founders of um, major motion picture companies, you know, like like that, or they, you know, film and television. You know, their schedules are crazy. So, initially, I would just go, and I didn't want to, you know, lose these opportunities by spending time on fundraising. Um, but I was lucky to have, uh, in terms of in-kind people, you know, also giving their time. So I give a hundred percent of my time to this project. It's a project uh, founded on giving. And initially, I sold like you. So, um, uh, the, so initially, I was selling paintings to fund the project, uh, just because I didn't have time to stop and, and fundraise. So we've had a little sustaining finance, um, and so that then allowed us to do some more travel and go to places like I said, you know, to Greece, to America, different things like that. Now I'm spending a little bit of time just because I'd like to, you know, taking a little bit of time out to do some of that fundraising because you know exhibitions do cost money uh, even though we're lucky to have universities give their spaces you know amazing spaces like where we launched in the Sorbonne it's, it's a huge you know it's right it's the original building of the Sorbonne it was in the main hall and it's if it's the Pantheon building so it's just facing the Pantheon it's a lovely old so we had a huge space there and that, that's all given but there are other expenses, so I'm taking a little bit of time out to do that because I would like, and then we had at University of Salamanca, again, for their 800th anniversary, you know, lucky to have those spaces donated because they like the project and they, they're involved in it. But but I I would like to be able to give stipends to, to those involved. 
um, I not be for myself, but you know, or also to make that sure that the exhibitions are the best that they can be in terms of we have access to to great art or whatever, but you know, to display it in the best way. Um, the folio editions are actually given to the archives of participating museums, and those are unique. Um, you know, they're you know hand drawn portraits, uh, and that it can, that are. The exhibition, because the, the exhibition changes as it goes from university to university, so no one exhibition is alike because it'll be celebrating, say, at the University of Washington, people from the region. So that's given as this large, um, hand embellished folio edition gifted to the archive of the the university, so it can be shown, you know, for however long they want, or it can be reshown or added to. So that does take a little bit of money. So we are looking for a little bit more supporting finance just so that we can, you know, complete the tour of exhibitions uh, to bring it to all the places who want to take part. And um, it is true that the creative process is growing rapidly. It's, mm -hmm. it's, going, to, it's um, going to Seattle and then other, other states in, uh, in uh, America. Yeah, so we're working now with um, the experiential learning departments of over 70 universities. I'm not sure that we can bring the whole, I mean, I would love to, but of course we're talking about the expense of things. We can bring it to all 70 of those universities, but we're working with, we're actively working with them and we're sharing interviews and working with their faculty and students. So what we, what's very possible, it's nice with projection elements is you can bring the projection elements there and also to like the high schools and places that could not afford to you know a full physical exhibition but yes we're we're working towards bringing the physical exhibition to University of Washington uh, and they're, and they're um, in our network of uh, leading universities um, who are taking part so we, uh, we haven't fixed the date yet just because as I said I do like it to be comprehensive and and because we're so lucky to have um, you know, people from so many disciplines taking part, I like it to, you know, at least be representative. Uh, and so we're lucky that we're also, you know, working with uh, collaborating curators who are like, you know, students uh, or, you know, like you working on uh, interviews and podcasts. And that's really, really helps it be, you have so much local knowledge. So I may just have s something that I know from a distance or I know some people I'm friends with, but we'll have students say who are studying um, astrophysics and so they'll say oh but do you know that there's this scientist you know in, at our university and, and or you know different people in the faculty recommend others so uh, I, I really love the chance to learn. Um, as, as a student collaborator yes <laughs> I yeah I, I do need to say that it's a pleasure to be working with you on mm -hmm. this um, ongoing project. Mm -hmm. Um, this constantly growing project it's um, it's reaching it's, it's to reach to the audience it's growing a lot mm -hmm. because of the exhibition yeah. and so what message would you like the creative, the creative process to convey to collaborating artists and its viewers okay so I think that what for, what's important for me is to create in this project in general is to create work that is meaningful, you know? So this is something I like to, to share with 
with students and the general audiences. Uh, I asked myself, I don't want to just make a painting that's beautiful or aesthetically pleasing or a story about you know, limited personal experiences, but to reach beyond my particular concerns, to speak to others and their concerns and interests, to, to do something that inspires the next generation as large as myself. So that's why I'd set off, sort of set out to do. But it seems it's very obvious that we're living in critical times with the environment, with social unrest, social and political unrest, and that creativity is crucial to build a better future. We starts with imagining a better tomorrow. Uh, so that through this project, as I asked myself, what do I know as an artist and how can I use what little I know to try to make the world a better place? So, well, I have some skills, but also I know a lot of people, passionate artists and creative thinkers who have collectively accomplished great things, which are inspiring for students just starting out. And I do believe that those collective insights can help young people find their voices, become the artists, leaders, inventors of tomorrow who will find the solutions to today's problems. So that's my hope. Um, you know, I feel so fortunate to be in a project where I always get to be learning from so many talented and passionate people and sharing those insights with students. Uh, because it makes me very hopeful for the future to be surrounded by so many who have devoted their lives to projects that are larger than themselves. Thank you so much. Um, the, being able to have insight into your work, the creative process, mm -hmm. actually uh, very inspirational to me. Mm -hmm. um, is there anything else you would like to mention or add? Uh, well, I don't know. I'm looking forward to the chapter and, and collaborating and at the University of Washington, and I'm looking forward to you know um, th those insights. I mean, in terms of the uh, Seattle and the University of Washington, I guess um, something I'd like to do more of, and it, we haven't focused a lot on. Some people involved in our project have been involved in business through the arts, you know. But I think that one of the natural resources or the community of um, in Seattle is that there have been um, great creative innovators in terms of um, business and technology. So some of those voices would be interesting to include, and that's something that we can collaborate on, and that seems like that, that would be also appropriate, apart from the artists there, but those creative thinkers within um, business and technology innovation. Um, but uh, alongside that, I do also always like to, to focus on uh, of us not to forget our, our common um, humanity. That's something uh, we, we're, we see now a lot of movements to do with you know, preserving nature. That's very important, uh, but also I think in preserving our, you know, caring for others. And uh, maybe, yeah, some, something I, I, I say often as, uh, with this project is that you know, the nature of learning is changing and culture is not a routine matter. We all live on one planet we call home. We're all human and have only one earth and one life. And what is evident is that traditional values and culture are relevant, not just in society, but throughout the world. It's not the money you earn that gets respect. It's not knowledge alone. It's only when they're combined with values, human values, integrity, responsibility, consideration for others, can we become a better person, a better human being, and of course, respected by society. We should never forget the importance of the humanities and individualism and our own creativity. We were not put on this earth to be consumer slaves connected to everything except ourselves. That is, uh, that is very, that's a very powerful 
home. Um, thank you so much for sharing, and it was great to be able to see how passionate you are about the creative process and about your work. And thank you so much for spending time um, talking about all of these great things with me. Oh, no, thank you, Khan. And I hope we didn't get to, to speak so much about our collaboration. We touched on it a little bit. But I think I should say, because then I guess this will be shared, that you know people should reach out to, to Khan for if they would like to do interviews. And we can set those up, you know. I um, and, and, sh and I think you can hear that she's also a, a, a good interviewer who, who asks all the good <laughs> questions. So, I mean, you know, whatever your discipline is, we, we would love to, to celebrate that and, in, and include that in, in the Exhibitions and Educational Initiative. Um, so we're really looking forward to that, too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mia. And I really look forward to um, keep on working and collaborating with the creative process. <laughs> Thank you.